Amen. Thank you so much for that. If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to take them and join me in Genesis chapter number 37, please. 37th chapter of the very first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter number 37 is where we'll find our text while you're turning there. Uh, Let me take this opportunity to encourage you uh, to uh, make plans to be with us tonight at 6 o'clock p.m. Uh, The Sunday night evening service, I believe, is always special and always important. And, uh, and, and I think it's just a wonderful habit to be in, uh, to be back in God's house on Sunday night, 6 o'clock p.m. But tonight, uh, as a church family, we'll be uh, coming to the Lord's table. And uh, we try as a church to make that a very, very special and unique time, uh, sort of a service unlike any other service that we do. Uh, we really um, only do it a few times of a year, and, uh, and so we want it to be as, as special as possible and so we'll have a message tonight that will kind of focus in on the Lord's table and, and uh, what, what it's really all about. And then, of course, we'll uh, receive the elements tonight. And so, again, let me encourage you to make plans to be with us at 6 o'clock. If you serve uh, in our church as either a deacon or one of our pastoral team, uh, I need you, if you can, to be in my office at 5.40 p.m. so that we can make sure that we're all on the same page and uh, ready to go with the, uh, the service tonight. Genesis chapter number 37 is where we'll find our text. And of course, this is a familiar passage of Scripture. I want you to look with me, if you would, and we'll begin reading in verse number 18. The Bible says about Joseph's brothers, and when they saw him, speaking of Joseph, afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him. And cast him into some pit. And we will say, we will say, some evil beast hath devoured him. And we shall see what will become of his dreams. Would you turn towards the end of the chapter and look, if you would, in verse number 31. They did not slay him, but rather they sold him into slavery. The Bible says in verse number 31, and they took Joseph's coat. And killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. They sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast had devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent. In pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an office of Officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. I'd like to preach to you a message that I've entitled Evil Beasts this morning. We find reference to that in two separate locations here. Of course, in verse number 20 and then later in verse number 32 and verse number 33. And you know, prior to the curse of sin upon this earth and upon man... Uh, we discovered that really men and beasts were able to dwell together in perfect harmony. 
The Bible says in Genesis chapter number 2 that out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. So there seems to be some element in which uh, Adam was able to dwell in harmony with the beasts that were alive on planet earth at this point in time. Genesis chapter number two, of course, preceding Genesis chapter number three, in which we find the first uh, example of sin on this earth and, of course, the curse that comes as a result. And I must remind you that there is coming a day during Christ's millennial reign in which man and beast will once again dwell together without fear. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter number 11 and verse number 6, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, not the kid being a child, but a goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. However, however, during the time in which we're living, there is, of course, a curse that is upon sin and is upon man, is upon everything that we see. And part of this curse is that there is a great fear that exists between man and between beast. Several years ago, news broke about a man who had some strange fascination with grizzly bears in Alaska. Some of you perhaps remember his story. Over a period of years, this man went to Alaska and he he dwelt among the grizzly bears and he sought to get as close to them as possible. We know this because he documented it with video footage. He was creating a little documentary about how man and beast could coincide and could dwell together. And he did not seem to possess the natural fear that he should have that each and every one of us possess as it relates to animals of that size and of that nature. Um, I... I remember hearing the news that one year while he had gone to dwell with these grizzly bears, one year he and his partner were devoured by the same bears that he loved and that he was trying to get close to. And most, most of us, we heard this story and, and we really weren't all that surprised. We perhaps were sad that it ended that way, but it did not come as a great shock to most of us. Why? Because evil beasts are to be feared. <laughs> Now, there is a natural fear. It is a good fear that you have as it relates to beasts such as this. They are bigger than us. They are stronger than us. They are faster than us. And they are, they are wild by nature. In other words, they're completely unpredictable and yet at the same time, completely predictable. What I mean by that is, is that they, they tolerated this man's presence for a period of time. That was unpredictable. That was strange. But eventually they attacked and they destroyed him. And that was predictable. That was something that we all understood would be the end result. I just would have to tell if I were talking to a man like that who had some strange fascination, I would, I would want to look at him and I would want to say there's a reason why they put animals in cages at zoos. 
Now, there's a reason why when you buy your ticket to go to the zoo, that animal is behind a massive piece of glass. And you better be thankful for it. And there's a reason why that fence is so high. And there's a reason why that chasm between you and that animal is so big. Uh, There's a reason for these things. Most in this room, most of us in this room would be terrified. We'd we'd probably just decide, you know, I'll spend the rest of my days here if we learn that there was a lion roaming in the parking lot of the Cleveland Baptist Church. If there was a tiger hanging out on our street, we probably would just say, well, it's time to put the house up for sale. (laughs) It's time to move somewhere else. There's a reason for these things. Within us all dwells a natural fear of beasts like this. But what if I told you, what if I told you that each of us are endangered by evil beasts regularly? Though the evil beasts that threaten to destroy our lives, our families, our homes, our churches though they're not furry with sharp teeth and dangerous claws, though they don't growl and roar in a physical sense, doesn't make them any less dangerous or destructive. In fact, in fact, in many respects, these evil beasts that I'm speaking of are even more dangerous than real physical beasts. Here's why. Because we're often, we're often not afraid of them, And we're often even unaware of their presence in our lives. These beasts can silently move in and destroy us and those we love. And we might fail to recognize what is happening until it is too late. In our text, Joseph's brothers here conveniently utilize the natural fear that exists within man... Uh, as it relates to beasts, as a convenient alibi for their plans to rid themselves of Joseph, the brother they hate, because of the preferred treatment that he receives from their father and because of his superior character and because of his outlandish dreams. The Bible tells us that they have grown to a point where they cannot, they cannot even speak peaceably to him, according to verse number 4 of Genesis 37. They plan to initially, when they see him, and he's away from his father, and he's outside the protective uh, elements there of his father, they plan to kill him until someone, the oldest brother, sort of walks them off of that ledge, but then they decide that instead we'll, we'll sell him to, into slavery and we'll, we'll dip his coat in blood and we'll blame it on the presence of some evil beast, his disappearance. They delight in this plan. Because they can do what they wish with Joseph and they can blame it all on some evil beast. Was it a lion? Uh, Was it a bear? Was it some other deadly animal that devoured Joseph? No one will ever know. But one thing is sure, Joseph's brothers will never be blamed. But there was an evil beast present that day. The beast did not have physical teeth or claws into anyone's physical flesh, but the damage done would leave scars for the rest of their days. This beast was destroying lives, families, and futures, and no one, listen, no one felt a wince of physical pain or a moment of fear. No growls or roars were audibly heard that day, but at the end of it all, a young man was gone, 
A coat was stained with blood. A father was consumed with grief that would last decades. And ten brothers were satisfied to be rid of the brother they hated and could not speak peaceably to. They convinced their dad that an evil beast had devoured him. But we read the story and we don't find a single evil beast at all. But I I want you to look a little closer. There are evil beasts all throughout this text. Just ones that you might have missed while reading the passage the first time. Perhaps sometimes we miss the presence of these evil beasts in our own lives as well. And if we're not careful, the damage that was done here could potentially be similarly felt and experienced in our own homes, in our own families, and maybe even in our own church. There's three of them I want to identify for you here this morning. Number one, we discover the evil beast of envy. The evil beast of envy. Would you look with me in verse number 18? And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. Joseph's brothers had taken their father's flock to Shechem. Perhaps based on their previous history, Jacob felt it necessary to keep an eye on them. These were not good guys and their reputation in the community in that region was not a good reputation. Though, though they were the sons of Jacob, the grandson of, of Abraham and the patriarchal family here, these, these boys would eventually, their names would be attached to the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. They, uh, they had strayed a long way from where they were supposed to be. And so it, it just seems to reason to me that Jacob thought to himself, I need to check on my sons to make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so he called Joseph to him. We, we don't know how much time transpires between what we find in the very beginning of this chapter and when this takes place. But in the beginning of the chapter, Joseph is 17. It's possible he's still 17. Maybe he's a year or two older. Maybe he's 18 or 19 by the time that the events taking place here are happening. But Joseph is sent to check on his brothers. Joseph wanders, the Bible tells us, around Shechem for a time and he can't find them. And he happens upon a, a strange man and, and they begin to talk. He says, I'm looking for my brothers. And, and the man says, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure they've left Shechem and they've gone to another place. They've gone to a place called Dothan. And so Joseph leaves Shechem and he travels to Dothan and look in searching for his brothers. And when he arrives, as he is walking toward them, uh, they see him, the Bible says, afar off and they begin to conspire against him. I, I wonder what was it about him that they, that they noticed. Maybe perhaps it was that coat of many colors. Maybe that's what they recognized. Maybe they could see that afar off. Oh, here he comes. We recognize that coat from anywhere. Maybe it was the way that he walked. You know, there are certain people, it's like, I don't, even, I don't even need to see the front of their face. I just know the way they carry themselves, exactly who that is. I don't know what it was, but the Bible indicates that as they spotted him a great distance away, they began to speak. Uh, maybe they knew it was him by the, again, the way he walked or perhaps the coat, but the sight of him, the Bible says, immediately put them all in a bad mood. <laughs> there, there are some times in which, uh, people, you know, maybe there's certain people that when they come around, I mean, just instantly your mood starts to sour just a little bit. And that was the story for Joseph's brothers. When he came around, uh, they were instantly in a bad mood and they began to talk about what they could do unto him. The evil beast of envy, no doubt about it, 
had had them in his grip, and they set their sights on Joseph to destroy him once and for all. Here's the question. Why is this beast so dangerous? The evil beast of envy. The Bible reveals that under its controlling influence, listen, these men would have killed Joseph without remorse or regret. They say, that's the, that's the far, far end of things. The envy that I'm harboring, the hatred that I'm harboring in my heart is not nearly that advanced. But what I'm saying is, if you do not deal with it today, it could grow to that point. I mean, that's where these boys, that's where these men were. When they saw Joseph, they, they literally said, let's kill him. And nobody thought a second thought, with the exception of Reuben, the oldest brother. All of them were in agreement. That sounds like a great plan. That sounds like it would be the right thing for us to do. Some tolerate envy and hatred and jealousy in their lives as if it's no big deal. But again, we see here the end result of this growing out of control in our lives. Grown adult men killing perhaps a 17-year-old boy. Not just any boy, but their own brother Killing him, knowing the heartache it would cause their elderly father without an ounce of regret is what the evil beast of envy is capable of doing in your life and is capable of doing in my life. Now the text reveals two specific things that these boys were envious of. Number one, we discover that they envied his dreams. In verses 19 and 20, do you see it? And they said one to another, behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit, and we will say, some evil beast hath devoured him. Notice the last phrase. And we shall see. We shall see what will become of his dreams. It's all over the text, isn't it? What is it that they're envious of? What is it that they hate him so much for? It's because of these dreams that he's dreamed. They referred to him as a dreamer with a heavy tone of mockery and sarcasm. They were appalled by his dreams that someday, that someday the thought that they might might find themselves in a position of bowing down to him was appalling to them. In this day, dreams were a common way for God to communicate his plan and his message to mankind. Perhaps these dreams struck fear into their hearts. And maybe, maybe they, along with their dad, sensed that this was of God. One way, in their minds, one way to never have to worry about his dreams ever coming true would be to kill him. If we kill him, we never have to bow down before him. No chance of that. So perhaps that was running through their minds as they focused on uh, this, uh, this, this, this boy and his, and his, and his dreams. Uh, Reuben, however, the oldest of Jacob's sons, convinced them not to kill him, but to throw him into a pit instead. Reuben intended, the Bible says, we didn't read it, but it's there. The Bible says that he intended to deliver him safely to his father at a later time. These ten, these ten brothers, the oldest, his name was Reuben, and in his mind he just couldn't bring himself to this point. Perhaps he thought about what it would do to his father. I don't know all of it. Perhaps maybe he wasn't as bothered by Joseph's presence as the others, but Reuben was the only one who was thinking clearly and rationally on that day. I want to pause here for just a moment and say it is possible. It is possible to live life in such a way as to tarnish or to destroy any hope that you might have for a bright future. 
Now let me just pause here for a moment. Joseph 17, his whole life is in front of him. Dreaming dreams like he's dreaming is not an irrational thing for him to do. In fact, we believe that these dreams came from God. And listen, I want to say this. God would eventually fulfill these dreams in Joseph's life. But I want to say this. Had Joseph gone down the same path of his brothers, had he mimicked or copied their behavior, there is no chance, there is no chance that he would ever live to see a day in which anyone would bow before him. Some of you in this room this morning, you're younger, and you've got your whole life in front of you, and perhaps maybe God has some beautiful dreams that he's dreaming for your life. And I just want you to know something. You better keep your life pure. Because God only fulfills the dreams of those who give him the opportunity to do so. Keep your life pure. Do the right thing. Serve God with your heart and life. Stay in church. Love your family. Love your Bible. Love your Savior. And let God use you in a great way. The evil deeds of Joseph's brothers, listen, soiled any plans or any dreams that they might have had of blessings that lay ahead in their future. I find so many people who have lived a life according to their fleshly lust for so long that much of what is good in life has been taken from them. It's been taken from them. And as a result, as a result, they're simply living day by day. Just, just trying to make it through another day. I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I want to live, live for more than just today. I want to I think to myself that a better day is coming. That there are some good things that still lie ahead in my future. But I'm telling you right now, the decisions that I'm making today can greatly alter what my future looks like. You need to understand the same thing is true for you. Sin, listen, sin destroys everything it touches, including a blessed future. And sometimes we think, well, you know, this, this, won't, this won't hurt that bad. I, I can play around with this just a little bit and it won't be that big of a deal. I want you to remember, Joseph's brothers had no dreams. They had no dreams. You read previously and you read after this chapter and you'll discover why. Because Joseph's brothers were living terrible lives. Joseph's brothers were consumed with, with, with really, they were being consumed by the evil beasts that were in their life. And they were allowing it to happen. They're envious of what the future might hold for this person when their lives have been so bitter and so hard. One reason you should follow God. One reason you should obey his word and keep yourself pure is so that you can look forward to a bright and blessed future. So I was thinking on this, I was reminded of Galatians chapter 6. I think perhaps maybe the verse might appear on the screen. Galatians 6 verses 7 and 8. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. What had, what had Joseph's brothers been sowing into their lives? Oh, they've been sowing anarchy and violence and immorality. Now look at the next verse. For he that soweth to his flesh shall the flesh reap corruption. So what does the future hold for your life? Corruption? Terrible things? Why? Because I've been sowing to my flesh all of these years. You mean you have no dream for a bright future? No, my, my future is nothing more than a nightmare. My future is corruption. My future is decay. But notice the end of the verse. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. I don't know about you, but I want a bright future for my life. 
I want a bright future for this church. I want a bright future for my children and for my family, for, for the grandchildren that God might give me someday. And as a result, listen, I must protect myself now and live my life in such a way. They're envious of his dream. But notice, secondly, they envied his coat. Look what happens in verse 23. And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat. His coat of many colors that was on him. The very first thing that these brothers, how do we, how do we know what was eating them up? Because they tell us. And they tell us by their words, but they also tell us by their actions. When Joseph came and he was close enough to them, what did they do? Immediately they grabbed hold of that coat and they stripped it off of his body. They envied his coat. The coat represented several things. It represented leadership in the family. That's what the coat represented. We talked about this last week. This coat represented leadership and administration, position, and authority. This was the kind of coat reserved for the boss or the oldest son, not the boy who was 17 and one of the youngest in the family. But notice the coat also represented their father's love. Jacob preferred Joseph above the elders and others, and he didn't hide it. This coat was another painful reminder of the truth. Every time they saw it, they were reminded of the fact dad loves him more than he loves us. And it drove them crazy. This coat, number three, represented the future fulfillment of his dreams. If we can pull this coat off, then perhaps we can destroy his dreams as well. Joseph's brothers couldn't stand to see him wear that coat any longer. And so they physically removed it from his body, thinking this would make them feel better. Let me ask this question. Did this help them? Did this bring the peace that they were so desperately after? They would learn that simply taking from Joseph what they envied would not satisfy the voracious appetite of the evil beast of envy. And you'll discover the same thing. You'll discover that the thing that you envy or the thing that you hate, if you could just remove that from the person, if you could somehow take that away from them, if you could somehow strip that from their possession and from their being, it won't make you feel any better at all. It didn't help his brothers either. The evil beast. In verse number four, it says, it says that they could not speak peaceably to him. We touched on this last week. Is there someone that you can think of in your life that when you see them, I mean, just instantly evil thoughts enter your mind? I don't want to see them. You, you, every, every bad interaction you've ever had, and perhaps you might even have to turn a different direction to avoid them so that you don't say something you'll regret. Is there someone like that in your life? Perhaps, perhaps there is, and you thought, it's not that big of a deal. Who doesn't have someone like that in their lives? We tolerate these things. I'm here to remind you, look where it led Joseph's brothers. Are you any better than them? Do you have dwelling within you anything more than what they had dwelling? No, we're all flesh and blood. We're all human beings. We're all susceptible to the exact same thing. And if you don't deal with this spirit of hatred and envy right now, right now it could lead you to the exact same place. Notice number two, we see not only the evil beast of envy, but we see the evil beast of greed in verse number 26, 27, and 28. Look what happens here. And Judah said unto his brethren, what profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. 
And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were, were content. Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. What would you be willing to do for $10 million? I just read recently that the I don't know if it's the mega millions or the Powerball. I'm not in the habit of playing the lottery. But I did see a story on my phone just, just, just yesterday that said it is on track right now to be the richest in the history of the world. How many saw that? Anybody see that? Yeah, these, these are the guys that bought their tickets yesterday, right? No, I'm just, I'm just teasing. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Because I saw it too and I didn't buy any tickets either. But what would you do for $10 million? What would you do? What would you do for a billion dollars? I mean, that's, that's where it's heading. There was a survey that was, that was taken among people. And 20, did you know that 25% said, if you, give me 20, if you give me $10 million, I'll abandon my family. 16% said, I'll give up my American citizenship for $10 million. Another 16% said they'd leave their spouse. 10% said, I'll withhold testimony in a court of law and I'll let a murderer go free if you'll give me $10 million. 7% said they'd kill a stranger. And 3% said they'd put their children up for adoption. Now, I have to tell you, I've had uh, days in my life when <laughs> I was ready to do that for nothing, but just kidding. Love you guys. Just kidding. If you could see the look my wife is giving me now, I am in some serious trouble. Has anybody got a place to stay tonight? $10 million. Everybody has a price, right? I mean, that's sort of the, the, the terminology that we often use. You know, everybody's got a price. If you'll give me this, if you'll, give me, if you'll name the right price, I might be willing to do this while enjoying bread together, a traveling band of merchants and this story was making a journey afar off. They were heading to Egypt to sell spices and balm and myrrh. And Judah, Judah's sitting there and he's mulling this thing over. The brother is sitting in this pit and they've decided, well, we can't kill him. But what can we do with him? All of a sudden, Judah has this bright idea. Hey, what if we make some money off of him? He proposes selling him, making a profit. And then still making it look like an evil beast had gotten to him. They all agreed. They all agreed that this was the better way. They could be rid of Joseph without killing him and, and they could make a profit off of him as well. Paul wrote to Timothy that the love of money, that's, that's greed, not money. Money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. He wrote that in second, or 1 Timothy 6.10. Those who pursue wealth, the Bible says in that passage, and money as their primary purpose, their primary affection. The Bible says that they err from the faith and they pierce themselves through with many sorrows. I'm just here to warn you, be careful. Be careful about the evil beast of greed. You know, you know it has its, its grip on you when you start behaving like Joseph's brothers did in this text. Two things that we discover. Number one, we discover every decision. You know the evil beast of greed has its grips on you when every decision comes down to profit. Isn't that the word that is used in verse 6, 26? What profit is it if we kill him? In other words, we're now to the point where we're saying, 
it's not about what's right and what's wrong. It's about what makes the most sense financially. When every decision comes down to profit, that's when you know, that's when you know that the evil beast of greed has its grips on you. Can I just remind you that there are lots of things, listen, there are lots of things in the Christian life that don't make sense financially. There just are. In other words, there are things that God asks us to do that as we read them and as we think about them, they will not lead to a financial profit in your life. And as a result, many people draw the line there. So I'll, I'll do something if it makes sense financially. I'll do something if it will put more money in my purse, more money in my bank account. But if it doesn't make sense financially, I'm out. That's how you know. Listen, that's how you know the evil beast of greed has made its way into your life. Those who are being devoured by the evil beast of greed have a hard time. They have a hard time with things like tithing. Giving and offering above the tithe. They have a hard time with blessing others and, and most other forms of sacrifice. Why? Well, I'm not going to sacrifice anything. I'm only looking for things that will bring me profit. I'm only interested if a profit is to be made. Some are greedy of man's praise, and so they're willing to do some despicable things in order, in order to earn it. Can I just say beware, beware of the evil beast of greed when you begin to look at every decision and choice with an eye towards profit only. But notice, secondly, we see that not, every, not only every decision comes down to profit, that's how you know the evil beast of greed has its claws in you, but everything, number, verse number 20, everything has a monetary value. Everything has a monetary value. What did Joseph get sold for? 20 pieces of silver. Here's the question. How much money is a human being worth? You ever stop to think about that? Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver. Do you know our Savior was sold for 30? You will know you've been attacked by the evil beast of greed when you look at everything and you attach a price to it. In other words, in your mind, you say, well, if you'll give me this much money, if you give me this much money, I'll do it. You'll know, you'll know. The evil beast of greed has its claws on you. Are there some things you would never sell no matter how much money was being offered? Would you sell your children, your wife, your purity? Would you sell your dignity, your peace, your joy? Joseph's brothers took something of inestimable value and worth and they sold it for the measly price of 20 silver coins. Why? Why? Because the evil beast of greed had control over them. Thirdly and finally, I want you to consider the evil beast of deceit. The evil beast of deceit. We learn of this in verses 31 to 35. Bob Harris was a weatherman for a New York TV station, WPIX-TV, and the nationally syndicated independent network news. He had to weather a public storm of his own making in the year 1979. Though he had studied math and physics and geology at three different colleges, he ultimately left school without a degree. But he had a strong desire to be a media weatherman. So he picked up the phone one day and he called WCBS-TV. He introduced himself as a Ph.D. in geophysics from Columbia University. The phony degree got him in the door. After a two-month tryout, he was hired as an off-camera forecaster for WCBS. For the next decade, his career flourished. He became widely known as Dr. Bob. 
He was also hired by the New York Times as a consulting meteorologist. The same year, both the Long Island Railroad and then baseball commissioner Bowie Kuhn hired him. At 40 years of age and living his childhood dream, he found himself in public disgrace and national humiliation when an anonymous letter prompted WCBS management to investigate his academic credentials. Both the station and the New York Times fired him. His story got attention across the land. He was on the Today Show and in People Weekly, among others. He thought he'd lose his home and never work in the media again. Several days later, the Long Island Railroad and Bowie Coon announced they would not fire him. Then WNEW-TV gave him a job. He admits, he admits it was a dreadful mistake on his part and doubtless played a role in his divorce and the breakdown of his family. I took, now think about this, I took a shortcut that turned out to be the long way around and one day the bill came due. He said this, I will be sorry as long as I am alive. Deceit. You know, in the present, it might sound like a good idea. I can pull this off. I can sell this. I can manipulate this. I can make up this story and be really good at telling it. But I want you to know, listen, ultimately, ultimately everyone has a day in which the bill comes due. Because here's the, here's the point. Listen, you can fool me, and you can fool your family, you can fool your spouse, you can fool your parents, but you can never fool God. God always knows. God always sees. And a day of reckoning is coming for every one of us. They envied him. They profited off of him. And then they lied about him to cover their tracks. Those consumed by the evil beasts of envy and greed will normally find, they'll normally find themselves in the position of Joseph's brothers. In other words, one thing leads to another. One sin leads to another sin leads to another sin. And now I've got to cover my tracks. And that's exactly what's happening in this text. They used deceit to cover what envy and greed had led them to do. There are some identifiers in this text to let, let us know when the evil beast of deceit has caught up to us and is actively working to destroy us. Number one, notice they were willing to lie about a most sacred thing. The death of another person. Look what it says in verse number 31. They took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat and the blood, and they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. You know, there's, there are just some things that normal thinking people just wouldn't or shouldn't do. And I just have to say, lying about someone's death should be one of them. We've all heard crazy stories of people faking their own death and disappearance, maybe to... I don't know, get somebody off their case or perhaps maybe to collect some insurance money or whatever the case might do. And when we read stories like that, we think, who would do such a thing? Well, Joseph's brothers would do such a thing. Those that are controlled by envy and those that are controlled by greed, and those who allow deceit to grow in their lives, the fact that they knew the truth and they harbored it, listen, for the rest of their lives adds insult to injury. You know, I'm amazed at how easily and quickly some people will lie. I'm amazed by it. We're living in a culture in which we can't trust our leaders because of how often they resort to deceitfulness. I'm talking about political leaders. In some cases, I'm talking about religious leaders. We can't even trust them 
Because, we've, we, because they're known to lie. They're known to stretch the truth in order to get what it is that they're after. I want to remind you that while, while these people may have fooled everyone, God knew the truth all along. But notice, secondly, not only were they willing to lie about a most sacred thing, but they were willing to lie to a most sacred person. The Bible says they brought it to their father. A coat dipped in blood to cause him to think that his son had been torn in two by an evil beast. And they knew the truth all along. They knew he was alive. Maybe not alive and well, but they knew he was alive in Egypt. And they allowed their father to buy this for 20 years. They knew every single day. Every single day they got up out of bed and they saw their father overcome with grief. They knew, they knew every second of the day what they had done. They were willing to lie to a most sacred person. It's not enough. It's not enough to just be willing to lie about a most sacred thing. But what about those? What about those who will lie to someone you should never lie to? Who should you never lie? Well, you shouldn't lie to anybody. But think about this. Your own father? How about your spouse? People lie to their spouse, their children. Children lie to their parents. Lie to our friends, pastors, spiritual leaders, our boss. We lie to our civil authorities. That's when you know the evil beast of deceit is controlled. Can I just say to this morning as we conclude, evil beasts are destroying lives. They're destroying homes, relationships, and churches all around us. It's time. It's time we recognize their presence and we deal with it. In this room this morning, no doubt, is a home that is being destroyed. Being destroyed by deceit. We're lying to one another. We're covering things. We're hiding things. It's time we get everything out into the open and we deal with it. There are relationships that are being destroyed by hatred and envy. And we've tolerated it far too long. It's time. It's time we get it out. We deal with it. And we move on. We ask God for forgiveness and we repent. There are people in this room that are being destroyed by greed. Destroyed by greed. You'll do anything. You'll do anything for a few more dollars. For a little bit more money. And you'd be willing to sell just everything has a monetary value attached. It's time. It's time we stand up and we say no more. No more. I will not allow. I will not allow this evil beast to destroy my life. To destroy my home. My family. And I will not allow it to destroy this church. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for just a moment.